morning, everyone. Uh, as, as, is Genevieve, right? Jesse? Jesse, thanks. Jesse, as mentioned, I'm Jason. I'm from the Balfour Church. Uh, I know some of you, but it's really great. There's many of you that I've never met before, so uh, welcome, and I'm glad that I'm here to be with you. And also, I wanted to uh, bring greetings uh, from your brothers and sisters at the Balfour Church. Um, we continue to pray for you, and I feel a bit awkward uh, coming in that. Um, years ago when I would come and I would preach in the junction, I would refer myself as your pastor or one of your pastors. And as we move, transition to becoming three connected but independent churches, it feels a little different now. I sort of feel a bit more like a guest, but still a brother to you. So I'm glad to be here this morning. Um, a few weeks ago, Mark asked me if I would come and speak uh, here and preach. And I was thinking about it that uh, as I began thinking about you, I began... Um, hearing the words from, from Philippians, especially Philippians chapter 2, uh, often known as the Christ hymn. And I can feel this moving a little bit more slack. Uh, the Christ hymn. And I was hearing it for you, especially as it talks about, um, as Paul is encouraging the church to have the same mind as Christ Jesus. And now I know it's New Year's Eve, uh, and um, as I think it was... Lyle mentioned, you know, there's a good portion of you who are away this morning, but I'm grateful that we are here. And, you know, oftentimes on New Year's Eve, you get uh, sermons that are sort of, that are directed towards, hey, here's where we're headed in the next year. Here are the plans, or here's what I hear God saying. Uh, sometimes you'll get sermons that are, you know, five life hacks on how to have a better new year. But it's interesting because according to the church year, the church calendar, um, I'm just looking at that because the the Christ candle. Does anybody have a lighter or a match that we could light the Christ candle? Yeah, great. This is a uh, oh great thanks. Oh yeah, that will. You know, uh, in Balfour it, we have the long ones, and they are so hard to light. So for Christmas Eve, our family brought something like this as well, a torch that definitely would not fail. Thank you. Thanks. So, uh, yeah, while the rest of the world has uh, moved on, they're already talking about New Year's Day sales. Uh, you might already see some Valentine's Day chocolates out. We, the church, uh, we remain in the season of Christmas. It's actually these, you know, the 12 days of Christmas, that song, it actually refers to this season right now the days of Christmas, as we get to celebrate it, we get to linger by the manger for a bit. To continue to celebrate this amazing news that God so loved us that he took on flesh. That he took on flesh, he became human, and he came to save us. Now, this hymn in the middle of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi is a quintessential Christmas text. Now, most of us don't think of it. When we think of Christmas, we often think of the stories from Luke, you know, the, the angels visiting the shepherds. We think of the stories from Matthew of the Magi coming to, to glorify Jesus. Some maybe even think of the beginning chapter of John. You know, in the beginning, the word became flesh and dwelled among us, that sort of part of John. Uh, but this short hymn from Philippians chapter 2 has profound theological implications for us. It gets deep into the reality of the incarnation, the reality that God became human and lived among us. But, but why this text? How does the incarnation actually matter for us? 
How does the amazing news that God became human matter to us? Is it just prologue? Is it just sort of a preamble to get to the cross? Just interesting origin story about Jesus, you know, for those of you who would like to know. Or does it reveal amazing news about Jesus? Amazing news about God? Now, I believe it is crucial for our faith, and I think it's also timely for this community. Let me pray, and then we will begin walking through it together. So if you would, pray with me. Father in heaven, we continue to pray for understanding. We pray for your spirit to be here with us. God, I pray for your spirit to help me uh, to speak this word that you have given me for this church, for this community. And I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to work in this church, continue to hold them together. Uh, This last year, as Lyle mentioned, has been interesting, um, difficult at times. Lord God, I pray that you would continue to hold them together. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Noah, is, is it me? I think it's me, isn't it? You know, I think I'll just use the, I'll just use the hand mic. Thank you. Thanks. So, let me first uh, give some context. Uh, actually, this. Noah, can you hit the next slide for me? I, I, I have this dialed in Balfour, but there's just too many buttons for me here. Okay. I'll just, Noah, if you don't mind just helping me, that would be great. Thank you. So this is a, this is a reconstruction or like an artist rendition of what they thought uh, Philippi looked like in the time of Paul. Uh, Philippi is in modern-day Greece. It was a Roman city. Now, Romans would, the Roman Empire would have Roman cities, and they were special cities that they set up to do a few things. One, they would give uh, generals and military leaders, they would give them free land in these places. Part of it was a way to honor them, and part of it was a way to keep them out of the city center, to keep them out of the heart of Rome so that they couldn't become too powerful and cause problems. So they would send them to further away places uh, and give them free land. And not only that, but it also helped spread Roman ideals, helped spread Roman power throughout the empire. Not only that, but there was a reciprocal relationship between cities and the empire center between Rome. Cities would do their best to honor the Caesar, honor the, the empire or the emperor of the time. They would, um, they would have temples for them. They would have celebrations for them. It kind of became almost a competition between cities to see who could do the best job of honoring the Roman Empire and especially Caesar. Not only that, so they would do that. So the cities would kind of compete with each other almost falling over themselves to honor the empire. But then the empire would do great things for them too. They would give them money. They would give them resources. They would give them protection. So it was this reciprocal relationship. And so there was, an, there was a, a drive to be a model city, to be a Roman city, a thoroughly Roman city. And so there was a lot of pressure to conform in these types of cities. You can imagine what it would be like in a city where everyone, can you imagine if... Uh, 
what maybe like a modern day city. I think some, I, I actually grew up in the US. I could think of some cities in the US where they are very nationalistic, very proud of, to be American. And you can imagine what it would be like to not be so American in a city like that. You can imagine what it would be like in Philippi, for example, where they were, where they were worshiping Caesar, they were worshiping the emperor. You can imagine what it would be like if you refused to. If you said, uh, I'm, I won't be honoring, I won't be showing up at the parade or the temple to worship Caesar. You can imagine the pressure that people face, especially Christians. And so persecution began uh, for the church in Philippi. They refused to worship the Caesar, and Christians were, began to be in, uh, viewed as troublemakers. One, they were called atheists uh, because they only worshiped one God. Now, I know that's somewhat different for us in our time where most people are at best theist. Uh, I mean, they believe in some higher power somewhere, but many people, actually surprising in our culture, like kind of unheard of throughout human history, many people in our culture are atheists in the sense that they believe in no God. But in the time of Paul, an atheist, they were actually called that because they only believed in one God. See, in Roman culture, there were a pantheon of gods. There were numerous gods. And they kind of had to approach the gods kind of the more the merrier. Uh, if there was a god out there that they didn't know, they wanted to know so they could maybe give uh, some tribute or something to impress them as well. And so you can see how troubling it was when you had these Christians, this new group of, of people, of this new small religion of people who were worshiping one god. And they weren't very Roman. And that didn't go well in a city that was doing everything it could to be especially Roman. So the Philippian church was cracking under pressure. Factions were forming. Fellowship was fraying at the edges. So Paul was written, has written to Philippi to encourage them, encouraging them to stick together, especially when it gets difficult, to stick together and to keep caring for each other. This is why he writes, if you have a Bible with you, uh, I'm just going to read one portion of the first part of chapter 2. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, remember this word humility, rather in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul is saying here, value others above yourself. Put their interest ahead of your own. Now, this isn't natural for us. Even in the best of times, this isn't natural for us. But when things get hard, it's pretty common. It's very much human nature to do the opposite. To do the opposite. To start thinking about myself before others. To become inflexible. The harder it gets in human nature, very common, the more selfish we become. So Paul writes this Christ hymn. And he says, no, if you'd hit the next one, please. He says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And one more time, no, please. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God 
something to be used to his own advantage. I want to focus for a moment here on this word being, this idea of God being in pre-existence. Notice if you could hit one more. This word being here. Now, being, this word is pre-existent. Now I know these are some theological concepts, but he's saying that Jesus existed before he was a child in Bethlehem. That he is God the Son. Outside of time, not created. Not only that, but in very nature, God. No, if you could hit one more, please, for me. Thank you. Now, we tend to take this for granted. We've had 2,000 years to come to terms with it. But for the first 500 years of the church, they had lots of conversation about what this exactly means. Some very adamant, some very lively conversation, debates. They were trying to get at what it means for Jesus to be fully God and fully human. That Jesus at the same time, both. Jesus existed fully as God, that he was omniscient, means he knew everything. He was omnipresent, he was present everywhere, and he's omnipotent, which is all-powerful. Can you imagine having all those abilities? I mean, we really can't. (laughs) But try to, to become, to go from unlimited to limited. To go from God, who was all-powerful, to a child who needed someone, like his teenage mom, to carry him around. He went from invulnerable to very vulnerable, even suffering. I was listening to uh, um, one of my mentors, a pastor, Daryl Johnson, uh, and he said that humans, he pointed out that humans are one of the most dependent offspring uh, in the world. You think about, like, when other animals are born. I mean, like, I think of, you know, like, deer and other... When they're born, like, they get a couple, maybe half an hour, and they're up and running. (laughs) And kids. Man. I've got four at my own house. And they run, they run, but they're still very dependent on us. Humans are very dependent. So God left glory and the wonder of the Trinity, of being in full relationship with God the Father, God the Spirit, rejoicing together, loving each other fully, completely, without any deficiency, leaving all of that, heaven, everything, to come for us. Born, absolutely, hallelujah. Born, not in a palace, which you would think, maybe, okay, like, a God, if he's going to come, he's going to go to a palace, which is still a huge step down, but still, you know, pretty nice. But no, he's born in a feeding trough in a cave, a grotto, with other animals, with livestock, to a teenage mom. He was completely reliant on her for food and to change his poopy diaper. Yes, Jesus had poopy diapers. <laughs> Fully human. How humbling. How humbling for God to go to this depth for us. Now Paul's trying to make a point of how far down Jesus, how far down God came for us. Noah, if you'd hit the next one for me. Oh, I've missed this one. Okay, go back up one more. (laughs) Um, 
Okay, let me just, uh, so he did not consider, right there at verse 6, he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. He didn't use his power to gain advantage, but he actually gave it up. He wasn't jockeying for control, but actually set it all aside to serve us, to save us. Contrary to other sons of God of Jesus' day, there were other people who claimed to be son of God. Uh, namely the Caesars, the emperors of Rome, they would claim to be the Son of God. But they did it to actually try and make themselves more powerful, to try and consolidate power. They would say, my dad, the Caesar before me, he wasn't just a good person or an amazing empire or emperor, he was actually God, and I'm his son, that makes me son of God, so do what I say. Hey, buddy. All right. Um, they claim divinity. They tried to take this from God, striving to take divinity, trying to make themselves divine, to exalt themselves. And then you have Jesus doing the opposite. Prime, Jesus, or, sorry, Paul is trying to help us see that Jesus is different. How exalted Jesus was and how he humbled himself low to come for us. Paul says this. He says, rather, next one, thanks, Noah. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing. If you could hit one more. Thanks, Noah. The Greek word for that is kenosis, which means literally he emptied himself. Now, there has been lots of conversation. Theologians for centuries, for millennia, have tried to figure out exactly what that means. But we can say a few things. One, he set aside his power and his glory to become limited, vulnerable, and a servant. He remained fully God, and we, the church, through lots of years of conversation and debate, we continue to affirm he remained fully God, but set aside his abilities, or at least some of them, as, as, um, as some of his abilities of God. He went from God Almighty to a dependent child. He did this. Next one, please know. By taking on the very nature of a servant. Now, servant here is doulos. It's different than North American slavery, uh, but there are some similarities. Because in the Roman world, there was a spectrum of slaves. If you were a slave to a civic official, if you were a slave to the emperor, uh, you were still a slave, but life was pretty posh as well. So that's one, but that's the one end. But many people were slaves at the other end. If you were a slave that was forced to work in a mine, you were worked till you died. And you died quickly because you worked so hard. There is this spectrum. And not only that, but there's a bit of irony here as well. Paul talks about Jesus being a slave. The cross, the cross was actually a particular type of execution. It was reserved for rebels, for insurrectionists, people who were standing up against Rome, and for runaway slaves. It was sent as a way, it was made as a way um, to punish them, and to, to dissuade anyone from doing that as well. 
This is an example. Paul's trying to help us see the depth that Jesus came for us. That he went all the way to a slave. That he redeems every class of society. He went below king. You can imagine if God came to be a king, maybe a king might think like, oh, okay, like I'm in. You know, the other people, who knows, but as a king, I can make it. Or if he'd just come to a noble person or maybe an artisan or maybe even a peasant. If God had come and, and became a peasant, maybe people then might think, well, it's too bad for all the slaves of our empire, but as a peasant, I could still make it. But God didn't. He went all the way down to the lowest level of society, the lowest rung to save us. But Paul, he continues on. He says this. No, if you could hit the next one. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. As if our incarnation wasn't enough, Jesus died an ignominious death. God voluntarily did all this for us. In an ancient world, gods don't die. That was a fundamental belief in Jesus' day and in Paul's day as well. Gods don't die. They don't humble themselves. No, if you could hit it. They don't humble themselves. They don't pour themselves out. They don't become human. And they certainly don't suffer and die. No, if you could hit the next one, please. In the ancient view, gods were capricious. That means gods were, you never knew what they were going to do. They would one moment be really happy with you, and the next moment they'd be angry and they would curse you. And so you were constantly worried about what was going to happen with them. And they certainly didn't die for people. In the ancient world, gods were kind of more like bad versions of kings. People served them. People were their servants. God didn't serve people. But this is a different sort of God. And though, if you could hit it one more. And in Jesus' day, and in Paul's day, gods didn't die on crosses. Crosses, crosses were excruciating. We get that word excruciating. It's actually from the Latin meaning ex crucis, cross, from the cross. And we use that word today to explain something that was beyond belief painful. The cross was humiliating. It was humiliating. It was a death spectacle. They would hang you on a cross in order to make a spectacle to dishonor you, to shame you, as well as kill you in one of the most painful ways possible. But think about this. Think about how humiliating a cross is. There are no towels on a cross. So everything that, all the dirt, all the blood, all the grime, there's no towel. There's no clothes on a cross. Now I know most of our pictures for our sensibilities these days, they show Jesus wearing some sort of loincloth, but very often people were crucified naked. Now in our culture, being naked is, is embarrassing, but in ancient culture it was even more. It was humiliating, but also a loss of honor. And so they would intentionally crucify people without their clothes. There's no bathroom breaks on a cross. So whatever happens on a cross, happens on a cross. It was ultimately, it was utterly humiliating. And it was meant to be that way. It was meant to be that way to punish people. 
It was meant to punish them, to dishonor them, to dishonor their whole family. It was meant to dissuade others from doing the same thing. In Jesus' case, it was meant to demoralize his whole nation. This is the length that God went to. This is the depth that God went to for us, to save us. The incarnation is often the miracle that we overlook. One of the most powerful ways God reveals himself to us and shows us his love. In the incarnation, we see God's humility. We've been talking about this today. It's interesting, uh, I was reading in Philip Yancey uh, in, in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. He said, before Jesus, no writer used the word humble to positively describe someone. You know how we'd say like, oh, they're so humble. We mean that as a compliment. It was never a compliment. Nowhere in written history before Jesus was that used as a compliment. It always meant more like they were embarrassing or shameful. How Jesus has changed the world. Noah, if you'd hit one more for me. And it's into this reality that Paul says this. He says, make my joy complete. Honor others in your church above yourselves. Have the same mind, the same humility as Christ Jesus. This morning, I hear two things for you, two things for us. One, the first thing is how deeply God loves you, the depths that he has come to save you, to save us, the humility of God. But I also hear this. I hear this specific, and I think this is why this is the text I heard uh, um, as I began praying for what to say for this community this morning, is to have this same mind among you, to be humble with each other, to hold each other above yourselves, trusting that your brother and sister are doing the same. I know, well, I've only heard from the outside. You know, I, I, I know that, that Jesse, Pastor Jesse has resigned. I know that things have been difficult. And I know, I know just a little bit of how hard it has been for you. I know God is doing great things. I hear that as well. But I know when things are hard, humility is harder. But I want to encourage you in that, to be gracious with each other. Maybe there's some people who maybe you don't see here anymore. Maybe there's something that has frustrated them. To be gracious with them, to be humble with them, to keep praying together for them. I want to encourage you as a church. I continue to pray for you. <laughs> I want to remind you of how deeply God loves you and the depth that he came for you. And to encourage you to hold others above yourself, to hold your church family, to be humble with them. This is the good news I have for you, this surprisingly Christmas message. Bless you. Amen. Can we put on a, another worship song here, and we're just going to worship the Lord with what we've heard and ask for revelation of what God's speaking to our hearts. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you for your humility to come here and end the year with us to help us move forward. So.